0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, that escalated quickly. Just a few days ago, we were celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus, and it was a night for rejoicing, a a night to be made glad with the goodness of God and the way that he has come down among us in the person of his Son. It was a day of peace and serenity as we celebrated this infant Savior who has come as the Prince of Peace in order to make all things right, but today... When we hear this story of Herod and all of his raging today, that feels like millions of years ago. King Herod, in his jealousy of this infant king, Jesus, he sends his goons into Bethlehem and he says, okay, all of the male children under two years of age, snuff them out. It's a brutal, horrific scene. Anybody who has any designs on the Bible being a PG book Only needs to hear a story like this to realize, well, wait a second. There is something deeply dark going on here. This violence, this evil. And in the midst of all of this, it's foreshadowing the way that the story is yet to go. What's going to happen to that infant baby Jesus? That he is going to grow up to be a man who is hated and despised who himself is going to undergo a violent, despicable death. Already here, at the very beginning, we were not allowed to forget that Christmas is constantly and irrevocably tied to Good Friday, and indeed to Easter. I came across this painting, it was in the most recent Lutheran Witness, actually, that I think does something very similar. If you want to grab a look at the cover of your worship folder, if you have the larger picture in your worship folder, uh, this painting is entitled Adoremus, which is the Latin word that means let us adore. Like, venite adoremus. So come, let us adore him. And it's by an artist by the name of Ed Riojas, who is living now, he's in Grand Rapids. And he actually um, submitted this painting for Art Prize. Some of you might be familiar with Art Prize. We had a Frankfurt native win this a few years ago. He submitted this painting, Otto Remus, and it's a painting about the nativity. But I think Ed Riojas in this painting, does what the gospel does today. It also foreshadows and points forward to what Jesus is going to do for us. The lengths that he goes to in order, as I said to the kids, to make us his own. That we might belong to him. So what I want to do this morning is to uh, allow this painting to lead us into deeper meditation on the gospel and on the future of our infant savior the one who came to us as a child but did not remain a child but as a man gave himself for us and for our salvation so as we take a look at this there's lots of things that we could draw attention to there's just a few that I want to focus on and the first thing is well no christmas manger scene would be complete without some barnyard animals right And so you've got them there. On the left side of the picture, you can see the lamb, and on the right side, the cow. But there's more going on here than these just being two random critters that happen to be in the the picture. The first one on the left, you notice that that lamb, if you look closely, is wrapped up in uh, some thorns. It calls to mind the story, you remember the story from the book of Genesis, of Abram when he took his son Isaac up onto the mount in order to sacrifice him. But God spared Abraham and spared Isaac by presenting to him this ram that was stuck in the thicket. Already here we have this picture of this ram, this lamb, beside the infant baby Jesus, reminding us that he is the lamb of God, that he is the one who is going to be in our place as the sacrifice. And likewise, on the right side of the picture, that's not just any cow, but it's a red heifer. Now in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, it tells us that a red heifer was a purification sacrifice for one who had touched a dead body. Here, this red heifer calls to mind, again, the sacrifice of Christ that purifies us from death. There's another animal as well, two turtle doves up in the rafters too. Each of these animals calling forth the sense of the sacrifice of our Lord, but something more than that as well. See, these critters, both in the Old Testament as, a, as we have them de- depicted here, they're unwitting agents in this whole drama. They have been enrolled as sacrifices, as servants to the larger purposes of the Lord. And I think that there's something telling here about this. That with, also with our gospel story, we have all of these children, these young male infants under the age of two, who, according to church tradition, are known as the holy innocents, martyrs. Now, how could they be martyrs? They're little babies. They're not making any bold confession of faith. But it's because of this. Their lives and their deaths have been caught up in the larger story and purposes of God. Even as those animals, those lambs and cows of old, were made as sacrifices, as martyrs, so to speak, for the larger purposes of God. So now these infants have been enlisted and enrolled, redeemed by Christ in his larger purposes. And this is also true for you and me. That our sufferings, that our sacrifices, are not wasted on God. They are caught up and gathered in through the Lord who laid down his life for the sake of us all. All of our sorrow, all of our sacrifice throughout this mortal life, as we strive to live faithfully for Christ, now that has all been gathered up and caught up in the redeeming love of the Lord, nothing is wasted on him. We see that already at his birth. And as the artist points that out to us through the presence of the Lamb, and of the cow. But there's a way of, of misunderstanding this, I think, a, a way of, of misunderstanding this redeeming work of God and how everything serves a purpose in His overall plan. And to get at that, I want to point out a couple of other things about the painting here. Now, we notice the two turtle doves up in the rafters there. Do you see what's beside it? It's a crown of thorns. That crown of thorns, which is already hanging over the head of the infant baby Jesus. But if you were to look very closely, and I'm not sure you're able to make it out in your smaller pictures, but that crown of thorns is not alone. It's actually intertwined with a laurel wreath. Now, the laurel wreath from ancient days was the sign of victory. This is what Olympic athletes would get when they were on the podium. Before they had gold and silver medals, you would get a laurel wreath. It was a sign of victory. So here we see, intertwined with that sign of victory, the crown of thorns, you have this image, this symbol of of victory, intertwined with the, the sign of defeat, both of them together. And there's another way that the artist brings this out as well. Notice on the left side of the picture, behind that lamb, there's a shrine out of place with a crucifix on it. Again, that symbol of death and defeat. But if you look on the right side of the picture, over the head of the the cow. Do you notice that? An empty tomb. Both of those bracketed beside our Lord Jesus. Death and defeat, resurrection and victory, the crown of thorns intertwined with the crown of victory, that laurel wreath. Both of them side by side. You can't have one without also having the other. If we only have that image of death, it leads to despair. But with only that sign of victory, it can lead to a kind of sentimentalism that glosses over the real pain and sorrow in this life. Both of them together Cross and empty tomb, crown of thorns and laurel wreath, life and death intertwined. But here's where the misunderstanding might come in. Some people might look at that and say, oh yeah, it's just like that symbol of yin and yang. There has to be good and evil in the universe. There has to be death and life. They go together together like the cream and the cookie and the Oreo, or peanut butter and jelly. They're just two sides of the same coin. Or other people would look at this as the cycle of karma. You familiar with this idea of karma? Karma, this uh, universal principle that you do something wrong, then it comes back to haunt you. You do something right, it comes back to bless you. I was surprised, a little bit startled, to see this invoked in the newspaper this past week, in the sports section of all things. Uh, This was an article from the Associated Press and the headline reads, Karma had a career year in 2019. Who knew? She draped a green jacket on Tiger Woods, handed soccer's World Cup to a tough as nails U.S. women's national team, shipped the uh, NBA's Larry O'Brien trophy to a cool as they come rookie coach Right Righted a wrong that happened a quarter mile from the finish line at the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby and turned a baseball tribute to a fallen teammate into something truly unforgettable. At first I thought, okay, he's just joking, right? He's going to talk about karma here? But the author goes on to invoke that throughout, almost as if he's really seeing this as some kind of karma cycle. Now, I lived in Thailand for a while, and I saw the way that the Buddhists understand the cycle of karma, and I can tell you, for them, it is not good news. Because for those of us who are honest with ourselves, we recognize that the cycle of karma, more often than not, is not spinning in our favor. Now, Americans, we can just talk about karma in sort of an easy, breezy way where you're going to get blessed because you have done well. Like Tiger Woods. Any of you know some of Tiger Woods' story? I wouldn't necessarily think the cycle of karma would be going in his favor. There's all sorts of things along those lines. And you go to that story again, the gospel story of the holy innocents. You wonder if their parents were thinking, what have we done to deserve this? Even as the people would say about the blind man whom Jesus healed. Who sinned, him or his parents, that he should be born blind? We all have this deep-seated sense of karma within ourselves. What have I done wrong in order to deserve this? Or is someday the other shoe going to drop? Is my life of blessing someday going to end because this karma is going to catch up to me? So is that the case? Does karma have the last word? Is that the overarching principle in the universe? To come to an answer to that, I want to point out one more thing about our painting here. And it's the most arresting part of all. Right there in the foreground... There is the baby Jesus in a manger. This is not the way that we usually depict the manger, right? The manger usually is this kind of rickety wooden thing. But here, this is actually more in keeping with what a a manger would have looked like, a feeding trough would have looked like in the ancient Near East where our Lord was born. It's a solid stone thing that looks a lot like a coffin. And there's a reason for that. Here is the Lord who was born to die. And as we look at that solid stone manger come coffin, you can't help but get the sense that this is the last word. It's like God's period on history saying that amidst all of the the cycle of good and evil that is unfolding throughout history, here, this baby Savior, who grows to be a man who through his death and his resurrection is going to interrupt that cycle of karma. You and I don't get what we deserve. And that is good news indeed, because we have a Lord who came for us to die. The artist... Ed Rojas, he tells an interesting story about that part of the painting. I mentioned that he had submitted this to Art Prize, and Art Prize has the largest purse for any art contest in the world. And so you get people coming from all over the world to see these paintings. And one man, a Middle Eastern man, who may have uh, been a Muslim, he came and was looking at this. He was clearly not familiar with the story of Christmas or of the Bible at all but he was familiar with Middle Eastern culture. And when he looked at this painting and he saw this small child wrapped up in that manger, he asked Ed, the artist, he said, who was that man, that baby, and why did he have to die? He could discern through the painting. That here is no normal baby, but one who comes to die. I think of our great Christmas carol, What Child Is This?, that has that haunting line Good Christian fear, for sinners here the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me and for you. That cross already overshadows the events of Christmas as we hear with this distressing story in today's gospel, the slaughter of the innocents. In the midst of that evil that we cannot understand, in the midst of the evil in our own world that we may not be able to understand, we can look to the cycle of karma and try to take refuge in that. Or we can be like Mary and Joseph in the painting and come and adore the Lord, the baby king who came to rescue us from that dread cycle, who came to give life to us eternally. O come, let us adore him, amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen. We stand to sing.